Turn to Romans chapter 2, if you would. going to read from verses 12 to the end of the chapter. We'll be looking at 25 to 29 this morning. We are in the midst of a study in the book of Romans. That is our habit here at Grace Church. If you're new to Grace Church, we study through books. Uh, We will break from that from time to time on special occasions, but normally we will be studying through either a book in the New Testament or a book in the Old Testament and currently... We are in Romans. Chapter 2, verse 12, as we know, Paul has turned his guns from the Gentiles onto the Jews now. He's establishing the universal need for the gospel. He's shown that Gentiles are lost and need a Savior. Now he's showing the Jews that they too need a Savior. They can't save themselves even though they are Jews. So verse 12 says, For all have... All who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, Gentiles. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written On their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve of what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. 
Lord, we are powerless to change ourselves, to save ourselves, to sanctify ourselves. I am powerless to preach your word to spiritual effect. You must work. So we pray that you would work, that your spirit would take your word, lift high your son, and accomplish all of your purpose this morning as it goes forth. Empower me, anoint me to preach your word truthfully, accurately, with proper application, Lord, and empower and anoint us to hear your word diligently as the word of God, to love it and to mine in it, to want to be taught it, to Understand that we have things to learn that you will teach us this morning. So bless the preaching of the word and the hearing of the word. Save and sanctify your people. Do a mighty work. We know that your word does not return to you void. So we ask it and we trust for it. In the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Suppose you were driving down a two-lane road on a dark night and you come around a curve and you see a sign and that sign says, Bridge Out Ahead. So you stop and you take that sign and you put it in your car thinking the sign will protect you and you keep on driving. That's kind of silly, right? That was never the purpose of the sign. The sign was meant to teach you and warn you of danger, of need, of action you need to take to be safe. And the proper response is to heed the sign and turn around and go the other way. The proper response to the sign would be repentance not seeking power and protection from the sign, not thinking just having the sign, you'd be okay. See, it is silly, but I wanted to be silly and highlight what's going on here. Many Jews treated circumcision, physical circumcision, that way. They presumed that because they had the sign, they were safe, and so they made no course correction in their life. They trusted in having the law, but they did not obey it. They trusted and thought that being the seed of Abraham and having the law and being circumcised, that was enough. They're Jews. They're in. They had all of the external trappings of the covenant. But they did not respond to God's grace with joyful, loving obedience. So, it was all worthless. Many in the church today, church broad speaking, potentially even here, many in the church today are making the same mistake. 
trusting in the external trappings of religion. Not heeding the sign and having it fuel repentance. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Where are we at in the book of Romans? We're in the section from chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul is establishing the universal need for the gospel. He's told them he wants to come and preach the gospel. Now he's telling them why everybody needs the gospel before he gets to what we consider to be the good news of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. He's showing that both Gentiles and Jews are under sin, fall short, and need a Savior. Already done that for the Gentiles, and while he was doing that, the Jews might have been said, yeah, get them, Paul. And then he turns his gun on the Jews and says, you're no better, and that was controversial. What do you mean we're no better? We're God's covenant people. We have all the trappings. No. What they had was law without love. And that's why I entitled the sermon that today. Law without love. Without love. Looking at verses 25 to 29, we're going to see what was true and how they had law without love. And we're going to see what to do, what they should do about it. And we see how that applies to us. And it's pretty, it's really my main point is very simple. I want you to beware of something and be sure of something else. But the main point is this beware of trusting in the sign of the covenant without having the internal reality of the covenant. Beware of trusting in the sign. Beware of trusting in the external trappings of religion. And be sure that you have the internal reality signed by the sign, pictured by the sign. First, beware of trusting the external sign of the covenant. Look at verse 25, what he says. He says, For circumcision is indeed is of value if, conditional statement, if you obey the law, your circumcision is of value. But if you break the law, it's of no value, basically is what he's saying. If, you, if, you're, if you're characterized by breaking the law, Mr. Jewish man who claims to be one of God's people, then, then, but if you break God's law, you, you're no better than the uncircumcised man. In fact, worse, if he is one who keeps God's law. So what is circumcision? Let's think about that a minute. We don't talk much about that. But as we're going to talk about it in these verses, I thought I'd just give a, a little bit on it. We could say a lot more. Uh, that's why I wanted to read Genesis 17 so you could see where it came from and see what God said about it and what he was calling Abraham to do. But circumcision was the God-given sign of his covenant for the Jews before the resurrection of Jesus. Or the Old Covenant sign, if you want to put it that way. I, I don't want to say Old Testament sign because you'll rule out the Gospels and... You know, the resurrection changed everything. But it involved the removal of the foreskin of the male child on the eighth day after birth. And that's all I'm going to say about that part. But I want to say three things about circumcision just to kind of explain what it was this morning. And I, I turned into a Baptist on this one and used three Ps, but <laughs> forgive me. 
First, it's a promise. Or it's a seal. God's, God promised inclusion in the covenant people. The child was counted. Now what? The child was counted among those who were cut out for God. Those, those who were cut out from other peoples. Those who were chosen and set apart for the service of the one true living God. Those who would be included in Israel would be circumcised on the eighth day. That granted them entry into the covenant people. So it was a promise of inclusion, if you, having the sign. It was also, number two, a picture. So it's a promise and a picture or a symbol or a sign. What is it a sign of? Well, a few things, and I won't mention them all, but two things. One, it's a sign of, it shows the covenant curse for those who break the covenant. You saw it in Genesis 17, 14. Those who break the covenant would be cut off from God's people. So it pictured that, that the, the consequences of breaking the covenant, one would be cut off. But it's also a picture of God's work in the heart. It, it's a picture of the reality to which the sign points. Which shows us why just having the sign is not enough. It's pointing us to a spiritual reality, which is God circumcising the heart. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 said this, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. Why would He do that? So that, now here it is, so that you will love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. How does the Bible define loving the Lord? Obeying His commandments. It's not primarily a feeling. It's a commitment. It's a response. That was a summary of the first table of the law. But God says what He's going to do in, in, the, in, in His people is circumcise their hearts so that they will love Him. And when we love Him, we follow Him. So circumcision of the flesh pointed to a need that was circumcision of the heart. That was the spiritual work. So the power wasn't in taking the sign as much as it was in believing and trusting God and His work in the heart. So it, it, was, a, it was a promise of inclusion in Israel. It was a picture of covenant being cut off for breaking the covenant, but it's also that important picture. It was the reality of God's work in the heart. And the way we know that God's worked in our heart is in, if we're now loving God and, and seeking to follow and obey Him instead of ourselves. So it's a promise, it's a picture, but it was a prophecy. Circumcision itself was a prophecy. It pointed to the coming seed who would crush the serpent's head by being cut off for His people. The seed that was coming would take the curse that we deserve because we're all broken. The covenant, we've not, none of us have obeyed God in thought, word, and deed and deserve His blessing. But there was one coming prophesied in Genesis 3.15 forward, fulfilled in Jesus. There was one coming who would be cut off for His People. He would bear their covenant curse. And so circumcision 
promised something to the Old Testament Jew, inclusion in the covenant people. It pictured a deeper in the reality which was God's work in the heart and it prophesied the coming Messiah for whom they were all waiting. And we look back. See, they look forward. We look back, right? On the one who came and was cut off to save us. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. You can see this in the book of Colossians. And uh, Paul's telling them not to be taken captive and showing them how to do that and telling them the reality of their position in Christ. And look what he says in Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In Him, Jesus, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That true circumcision of the heart. How? By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And that circumcision that he's talking about in that passage is Christ's sacrifice. It's his death. Surely, when he, certainly when he was a baby, he was circumcised in the flesh just like all of Israel. But he was the fulfillment of that in that he then came and was cut off for his people. So you, you were, if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, you were circumcised through the circumcision of Christ. But you got the reality, which was a circumcised heart which we'll talk about more in a minute. So circumcised by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism. What do we immediately think? Water. No. This is talking about the reality to which the water points. Union with Christ. The Spirit baptizing us into the body of Christ. That's what... Water baptism pictures, having been buried with Him in union, in identification, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. See, how do I know this is true that I'm telling you this morning? Because Jesus was raised from the grave. Jesus conquered death. On the third day, the, the, He came out of the grave. In fact, the, 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 the stone was blown away from the tomb, not that he might get out, but that we might see he got out. Christ was raised from the dead. And it's the most provable fact in history if you don't use a double standard. It rocked everything. It changed the world. Christ is reigning now. He's coming again. And He died for His people. And praise God, He didn't just die for Jews. But from a pe for a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. Even knuckleheads in Swansboro, North Carolina. You're supposed to laugh. You know you're a knucklehead, right? I'm messing with you. Christ died for our sins. He was buried for our sins. He went through the, under the power of death. He conquered it. He was raised the third day. He ascended. He's reigning now. And He offers salvation to you as a free gift. Only ask, will you trust Him? Will you repent and trust Jesus? Will you turn from self and pursuing your own way and turn to Him and receive Him as your Savior, as your salvation? If you will, it's because He's at work in you. He's circumcising your heart. He's saving you that you might turn and trust in Jesus. Are you rested in Jesus this morning? Are you hoping in Him for the salvation of your soul? If you have any doubt about that, cry out to Him like the tax collector. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me. Grant me faith 
in this risen Savior. Lord, have mercy on me. There's no pat prayer or answer. It's the heart responding to God in faith. Christ is our salvation. And that's what Paul is going to proclaim. But in order to prepare for that proclamation, he has to have, by God's grace working through him, he has to help his Jewish brethren see that the, the external trappings that they have were meant to point to their hearts and to the Son who would circumcise their heart and save them. The reality, the sign is not the reality. It's a picture of the reality. It's sometimes spoken of like it's like this, but the physical circumcision didn't save anybody. It pointed towards the need for circumcision of the heart. And physical baptism and physical water doesn't save anybody. It points to that deeper need in reality to be united to Christ, to be saved by Him, to be united to Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. So look back at your Bibles. What was the value then for the Jew of circumcision? See, the problem was, as we've already seen, Paul says circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. If you have the heart that is pictured in the act of circumcision, if you have a heart that's been turned toward the Lord, then yes, it was of value to you. It didn't save you. It didn't contribute to your salvation. It pointed you in the right direction and it showed you the problem and the solution to that problem. See, the problem was the Jews trusted in their ethnicity. And you can see the importance of that when we read Genesis 17. But they trusted in the fact that they were Jews. They trusted in the fact that they were just physical children of Abraham. They trusted in the fact that they had privileges like having the very written law of God. And they trusted in externals like circumcision. Here's a quote from one of, one of the Jews' writings. No person, one of the rabbi's writings, no person who is circumcised will go down to Gehenna. What is Gehenna? Hell, basically. The, the, the dump that was a picture of eternal condemnation. You see how that, that confusion is even there. If you're circumcised, you're in. No circumcised person will ever suffer condemnation, if you want to think of it that way. Will ever be judged and cut off from the people, if you want to think of it that way. See, that was the problem. That's what Paul is addressing. And we see it in other letters of the New Testament. And, and it pops up again and again. They had their confidence in the wrong place. They were seeking to establish their own righteousness. We'll see that in chapter 10 when we get there. And Paul's pointing them to an abasement of self, of not hoping in self, of seeing the Messiah in the things that they had been given so that they turn and trust in Him and get that circumcised heart. But Paul's diagnosis of the Jews that he's speaking to is that they had embraced the externals of their religion, but they had missed the heart of the covenant. They had embraced the signs without the things signified, which was a new and circumcised heart. See, God's requirements of His covenant, and you saw it when He talked to Abraham. He talked about being blameless. And not just taking circumcision, but walking before Him and being blameless. And you see it in Deuteronomy um, before the children of Israel were going into the land and Moses' second law. We don't have time to go into all that. But in chapter 10... 
verses 12 to 17, watch God's conditions of His covenant. He says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Now, all of God's commandments are for our good. You just trust Him. Behold, to the Lord your God belong, the, belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. The Lord set His heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them and you above all peoples as you are this day. Now watch what He says. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is a God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great and mighty and the awesome God who is not partial. See our Romans? And takes no bribe. So God's covenantal requirements were, yes, take the sign, but don't stop there. See the message of the sign. Take the sign. Trust the Lord. And He also required covenant faithfulness. Joyful obedience. Loving God who loved and chose you. That was the requirement. See, not simply the externals. He didn't give us the law for us to go, Oh, we got the law. We got the word. And then lay it on the coffee table. Next week, Oh, we got the word. Lay it on the coffee table. No, we have it that it might change us. So circumcision was meant to point to Messiah. Law to point to the Messiah. Everything they'd been given should point them to Messiah so that they would turn and cry out and receive that new heart that God promises to give, but they stop short and trust it in the external trappings. I go to synagogue every Sabbath. I read the law and the Torah. I've been circumcised. I wear the towel. So I'm good. And Jesus said, whitewash tomb. Why? Because the inside was full of corruption, he said. And all manner of filthiness. So Paul is telling them, your circumcision is of value if you have the reality to which it points. But if you don't, it's of no value to you. In fact, it's of curse to you. <laughs> you had greater privilege, so you had greater responsibility. And then he uses an illustration of an uncircumcised person. Again, he says in verse 26, looking back in Romans 2. So if a man who is uncircumcised, they would have said Gentile, dog, uh, out. Why? Because they didn't have the externals of the religion. But Paul says, now this would be very offensive. If an uncircumcised man keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And picking up, they're picking up the stones at this point. Right? then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. So Paul takes them back to what he's already told them earlier in the letter that God's judgment will be according to deeds, not external trappings. You've seen that earlier in chapter 2, that we will be judged by the law 
that those who keep the law perfectly will be saved. That's in verse 7. Those who by persistence and well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But because of where Paul takes his argument in that Jew and Gentile are under sin, there's not really any uncircumcised man who keeps the law, but there's no Jew that does either. We all need a Savior. There's this, this Gentile person who perfectly keeps the law. Not really exists... But Paul's using it as an illustration to show the Jew that if there is a Gentile who keeps the law, he'll condemn you because you don't. Because keeping the law, there in 26, this is not making your best effort at it. This is not sort of almost getting there. When this, this word used for keep there is a present tense. It's, it's perfect keeping the law. It's perfectly keeping the law because you guard it and you're devoted to it and you always do it. It's a persistence in doing good that he's already said. Those who keep the law perfectly will be justified. He said that in 2.13. But later he says nobody does that. So he's simply trying to show that he's not talking about a Christian here. We keep missing the flow of the argument and, and forgetting who we're talking about. Now, we will talk about work in the heart a little bit later in the passage. But he's just talking about if, if it doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter what you've cut off and what you're holding in your hand. What matters is your heart and whether or not you love the Lord. And so if a Gentile person loves the Lord, he's going to be counted right, and you are not because you don't. You're breaking his law. Look at what he says in, in, in this text. Then he who is physically uncircumcised will, and keeps the law will condemn you. Now look at the privileges. Who have the written code. They had the written law. They had the Torah. And circumcision. You had way more advantage than the Gentile. But you break the law. And see, the better translation here when he says break the law. This is a noun in the original. But you are a transgressor. It's a noun that describes their life in general. You have all of the externals of religion, but you are a transgressor. Think back when we memorized Matthew chapter 7. And remember those pleading before Jesus. Didn't we do this? And didn't we do that? And didn't we do this? And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. Same kind of language. You who are a transgressor. Because you don't keep the law. See, Jews have the written law and circumcision, but not the right heart. They break the law just like the Gentiles do, and they're characterized by unfaithfulness. They had the law. Here's where the title came from. But they didn't have the love. They didn't have the love for God that would be demonstrated in a devoted, joyful obedience. They didn't have the new heart. They had the sign the sign was circumcision in the Old Covenant. But they didn't have what was signified. The circumcised heart. So, point two. Be sure you have the internal reality of the covenant. Beware of trusting the externals. Beware of trusting the sign. Be sure you have the internal reality of the covenant. Look what he says. He's further explaining now. And again, this would have been controversial. When you see it in chapter 9, it's going to be controversial. Not all who are Israel love Israel. All this kind of talk. Right? But in verse 28, now watch this. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. 
nor is circumcision outward and physical. You can hear the howling. Right? If they were in his presence, remember what they did to Stephen when he made similar accusations. No one is a true Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is true circumcision outward and physical. See, the sign was physical circumcision, but the true circumcision, the real circumcision, was circumcision of the heart by the Lord. We've already seen that. He's saying those are the true Jews who have that. Now watch what he goes on in verse 29. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. There's the reality that the sign points to. There's the new heart that the sign points to. There's the circumcised heart. God circumcises the hearts of everyone He saves. See, we don't circumcise flesh anymore because baptism, sign of the new covenant, right? But God circumcises the heart. He still does that same heart work in everyone that He saves so that Paul can say, a true Jew a true child of God, one who's truly in the covenant, one who is one of God's covenant people, is one inwardly. It's a matter of the heart by the Spirit. See, Ezekiel had said something similar. If you go read Ezekiel, and I would encourage you to go read the larger context, but I'm just going to give you the, the verses about the new heart. In Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27, God is speaking. He says, I will give you a new heart. If I save you, I will give you a new heart. If you've truly been converted, you'll have new desires, new loves, new pursuits. Godly pursuits. Children, if you're saved as children, you might not ever remember that crossover. The only thing you might ever remember is, I, all I ever remember is trusting Jesus. That's because you probably had good, godly, loving parents who trained you up early in the faith. But if you were converted at 26, like me, you get that evidence of that switch being thrown. My, my friends thought I had gone crazy because I was no longer partying. and I was still trying to hang out with them so I could share Jesus with them, but I was no longer, at the end of the night, we would end up sober and looking around at a bunch of passed out people and finally realized, this ain't working. But God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Now look at this. I will do heart surgery. I will remove the heart of stone, that unresponsive heart, that heart that is fixed and unresponsive to God. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What will that look like? Now watch. Verse 27. This is what God does in everybody He saves. I will put my spirit within you. What will the Holy Spirit do? And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The Spirit produces a growing joyful obedience in the, everyone that He saves. That's why justification by faith alone is not a, a, an isolated controversy because God always sanctifies the people He justifies. A circum, you want to know, ask yourself, ask God, please, I'm begging you this morning, ask Jesus if you're following Him. Ask God if you know Him. Ask Him to search you. 
to ask you, to tell you, show you if you have a circumcised heart. Because a circumcised heart is a new cleansed heart. It's a spirit-controlled heart. It's an obedient heart. Not to say we never slip and fall, but characteristically we are obedient and growing in obedience if we know the Lord. Since they had the sign without the reality, their circumcision was worthless. God, here's another word, God always works repentance in the lives of those He saves. What did Jesus say in in Luke 24 when He was speaking to His uh, disciples after the resurrection? He told them that repentance must be preached in all the world. See, this is not a new gospel. The church went away from it in a lot of segments. But conversion is repentance and faith. We can distinguish but never separate. Right? A circumcised heart is a repentant heart that is a con- has been cleansed and that the Spirit dwells within. So it's a growingly obedient heart. Why? Because it loves the Lord and wants to honor Him and grieves when it doesn't. See, if your favorite people to hang around with are still the people of the world, And if your favorite things to do are still the things of the world, yeah, you want to maybe come on Sunday and get a little forgiveness. I mean, I used to, one of my best friends when I was in high school, and one of my biggest party companions, before we would leave on Friday to go to the bars, he would be sitting in his room reading his Bible. And then he'd close that thing and off we'd go and he could rip it up with the best of them. He was religious, he was a Catholic. But he didn't have a circumcised heart, and neither did I. I was with it with him. God always works repentance in those he saved. And the Jews Paul is talking to, he's saying, You're tending to try to establish your own righteousness. You're trusting in what you do. You're trusting in the fact that you're circumcised, that the fact that you go to Sabbath. Uh, worship and you have the law maybe you even read it but you don't do it that shows you don't have a circumcised heart so that listen I want to stay focused like a laser that's why I ask you in the announcement time are you a disciple are you a discipler a follower of Jesus or a dabbler just kind of adding Jesus in where he fits Is Jesus Lord? He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? Is His Word shaping and defining your life? Are you denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Him? Or do you just want Him to be a ticket out of hell and into heaven? That is shallow, easy believism that will save no one. Because if we don't have a new heart, we don't have a new Savior. So my question I want to ring in your ears, and I hope it will ring. Do you have a circumcised heart? Do you have a new heart? Do you have a heart that loves Jesus? Is your number one priority to glorify and follow Him? Or are you kind of just fitting Him in? Mama raised me to be religious. I'm doing what they did. I said this in Sunday school. I'll I'll kind of try to help you with this now. When you're physically alive, one of the things that accompany physical life is hunger and thirst. 
because food and drink sustains life. And God has been so good to us to give us food and drink that we can even enjoy and sustain our lives. Some of us enjoy it a little too much. But there's grace. Why do I do these things? If you have physical life, you're going to be hungry and thirsty. That's just God's work in you so that you'll eat and drink and sustain your life. If you have spiritual life, you're going to be hungry and thirsty for the Word. If you're not hungry and thirsty for God's Word, you either don't have spiritual life or you're so far down in the, in the hole through malnutrition that you need help getting back. But if, listen, if you're not in this regularly, you don't desire it. Just let that talk to you. Don't get mad at me and don't get mad at yourself and don't cry, ah, legalism. It's not. It's Christianity. It's salvation. It's real life. Do you desire His Word? Do you love Him and want to know Him and know what He requires of you? Because Jesus Himself prayed, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. So we know we have physical life. We're hungry and thirsty and we're eating. We're doing okay. By God's grace, we live in a place where we get plenty. We get to choose what we want to eat and drink. How are we doing spiritually? Is that circumcised heart leading us to the spiritual buffet that God has provided? Am I in His Word and seeking to know and love and follow Him? Or do I think that just because I walked an aisle one day and shook a preacher's hand and prayed a prayer after him and he assured me it was all okay, even though my life doesn't line up with any sort of really circumcised heart, repentance, heart change, I'm good. I'm stopping there. That's good enough for me. That might be Southern religion, but that's not Christianity. If you want to know if you have faith, read 1 John and ask God to search you. But I want you to go home. Please, most times we go out the door and we forget the sermon and we start talking about something else. Don't forget this. Do I have a circumcised heart? Has it been cleansed? Is the Spirit indwelling me and producing growing obedience in my life? Do I love Jesus and is His glory my utmost priority? Have you taken the sign, baptism? And do you have what it signifies? Union with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. Romans, we'll get there in chapter 6, and when it talks about baptism there, it's talking about the reality that is, that is pictured by the sign, right? But it says that we were united to Him in His death, burial, and resurrection, and that we have been, if we're trusting Jesus really, we've been raised to new life. We're new creations, raised to new life. We have hearts that love and trust Him and want to follow Him. Do you have what baptism signifies, union with Christ? Do you have a devoted heart that obeys out of love and gratitude? See, many today in the church are making the same mistake as the Jews. We have law without love. We have religion without love. We're doing some stuff for God. But if something doesn't change, we're going to stand before Jesus and hear Him say, Depart from me. I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. I attend church. I have my Bible. I've been baptized. But there's no evidence of conversion or a circumcised heart. 
It's not just obedience, it's joyful obedience and it's sorrowful disobedience if we really know Him. It's godly repentance. Look at this. This is what the disciple of love said. I'm about done. I'll get off your toe in a minute. Or mine. Look what it, in 1 John 2, 4 and 6. I'm going to read this slowly. This is New Testament. This is John, the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John. You, you say, and this is why I'm telling you to go read 1 John. He's going to tell you how to know if you know him. Look what it says. Whoever says, I know him. That's a claim of relationship. I, I know Christ. I've been saved by Christ. He's my Savior. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God has been perfected. Look at him. He gets repetitive. That's one of the laws of learning. By this we may know that we are in him. Watch this. Whoever says that he abides in him, in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way. In which he walked. What was Jesus' passion? What was his food? Samaritan woman, right? To do the will of him who sent me. To do the will of the Father. If you're going to get mad at anybody, get mad at John. Because he said if you claim to know Jesus and you don't keep his commandments, you're lying and not practicing the truth. If you don't walk like he walked. And that, listen, forget some of the nuts in the church. That doesn't mean you're going around doing miracles. It means you are walking in joyful obedience to the commands of God. Because you love him. Because of his grace in your life. Because he died for you on that cross. Paul said in Titus 1.15 and 16, To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Now watch this. We have a lot of this. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by His works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. If I profess to know God, but deny Him with my works or my life, it's showing me something if I listen. It's showing me I, I might be professing, but I, I don't really have a relationship with Him. Because if I did, His Spirit would be in my heart working obedience. You said, you're not preaching grace. I'm here to tell you I am. Grace is found in Christ and Christ alone. You cannot save yourself. Turn and receive Christ as your Savior. But listen, you're receiving the Lord of glory when you do. And you're called to follow Him and be His disciple if you do. Here's Paul again. Same out of Romans in Titus 2, 11 to 14. Watch what the grace of God does here. The grace of God has appeared in Jesus, bringing salvation for all people. Now look what grace does. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now look, Christ died. He gives us two reasons Christ died. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, who died for us. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the part of salvation we want. We don't want to perish. We want everlasting life, right? 
who gave Himself for us to do these two things. One, to redeem us from all lawlessness. Praise God. Cleanse, forgive us. Now, there's another part though. And to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works because they have a circumcised heart. I'm adding that last part. Do you have both the sign and the reality pictured in the sign? Do you trust and love God and seek to live faithfully for Him? The sign will do you no good at all if you do not have the deeper spiritual reality signified by the sign which is a life of growing repentance. Trust Jesus and real trusting of Jesus leads to following Him and having our lives shaped by Him. May God have mercy on us to all have the reality of a circumcised heart to live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, you are so merciful. You are so gracious. You are so loving and patient. You have sent your Son to save your people by dying, living for us and fulfilling all righteousness, by dying for our sins and paying our penalty, not just physical death, but that, that condemnation, that hell that was ours, he endured for us on the cross. You've granted the resurrection, visible, provable. Over 500 people at once saw him. That we might know that this gospel is true. We can be forgiven and cleansed of our sin through faith in Jesus and transformed into a people zealous for good works. A people that really love their Savior. A people that follow him and live for Him because they have a circumcised heart. So Lord, I pray that You'd bring repentance and faith this morning to those who don't know You. And I pray that You'd nurture repentance and faith in the hearts of those who do. May we be a God-honoring, God-centered people. May we be rested in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, glorifying the Father, living for You because we have truly circumcised hearts. Lord, have mercy on us. We all want to take shortcuts. Please help us to think about these things. To ask you to search us. And show us whether or not we know you. I thank you for your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. That penetrates into the heart. And shows us the truth if we will listen. Lord, bless and save your people and help us to love and follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.